Hi, I'm Chud X. And I'm Lanny. And this is The World As It Is Today. Hey, thanks everybody for joining us for The World As It Is Today. We're back, and this is exciting, episode 20. 20. We made it. 20 weeks. 20. Uh, I was thinking it was going to be something, there was going to be a word for it, like a golden anniversary, but it's just 20. It's where we, it's not very many, where we do actually. golden showers. No, that has nothing audio, to do with it. Audio of golden showers. <laughs> what? It just sounds like someone peeing and somebody else going, oh, God, uh, yeah. get it off <laughs> What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds horrible. Well, um, yeah, happy to be here, still doing this, um, and 20 episodes is pretty cool. So... I just wanted to say thank you to everybody who came to my last fermentation workshop online. That was on Sunday the 15th, and we did fermentation for food preservation again. Thank you to Deborah from Deborah Gets Red Pilled, and to Tunes and Ismcant, and Stuart from the Propaganda Report Discord group that I've like chatted with them in there, interacted for quite a, you know, a couple of years now, mm-hmm. and they all came. Some wives showed up, some more people lurked in the shadows and didn't have cameras on. And then a new listener that um, I hadn't met before, Megan, was there. And she has twin three-year-olds. And um, this was her Mother's Day present to come to this. And it made me like almost cry when she said that. Uh, It was super nice. So it was just a really great group of people. And even Alex from Puerto Rico, Adam's friend, and Adam and Emily went to visit, was there with her adorable baby. Very so cool. it was really fun and a good group of people. Lots of good questions. Oh, got to meet Tammy, too. Tammy's in the Deborah Gets Red Pill Telegram chat, and she's rad. Um, and, yeah, some, she has some experience fermenting, so she was really helpful. Yeah, so it's, I, it's so cool that so, so many of these cool people are, are getting involved with it um, and just being being a part of this uh this food security idea yeah um you know you can hear on a lot of podcasts there, there was just another uh, an episode of union of the unwanted that we both listened to yeah it was really good it was about food security it, you know what though it was missing something yes and it was i was completely like, missing laney I, I you should have been on that we need to talk about how you're going to preserve that food you're growing. Everyone kept talking about how magical and wonderful it is to grow food, and it is. Absolutely. But it can become kind of a romantic thing that you're going to take care of yourself with that unless you start to think what that means for winter and for the entire year. Now, if you're in somewhere like, who? what's his name um, that I like so much? He's so enthusiastic, the Food Forest Abundance guy. Oh, Jim Gale. Jim Gale was there, and he's always so fun to listen to because he's just it's an infectious optimism. Yeah. But he's in Florida, so it could be, you know, maybe easy for easier for him to overlook the fact that you can't just grow things all year round. And I know he has a company that, that uh, helps people in all 50 states, I'm pretty sure, but, uh, he, he, you never mentioned how to preserve that stuff. No one did. Mm -hmm. So, um, I really want to focus on that because I think that there is, um, there's room for me in, in our circles to, to hopefully make a difference. Um, it seems like a thing that people are wanting to learn and they're not sure how to start. Yeah. And it's like, I want to say with that, that it's, it's, a um, it's kind of like the hidden, Part of this right now, the pres- the preservation side of uh, of 
Like we're all, so many people in our sphere are going, yeah, we need to have gardens. We need to grow food. We need to do this. We need to do that. And it's, and that's great. Like don't make the, I, I encourage that on, on every level possible, but it gets overwhelming really fast when all of a sudden you have a bunch of food and you haven't figured out, I mean, even like not preserving, but just selling your food or giving it away. Like you, you, you might have trouble with that. You just end up with this abundance and it kind of sucks because you're like, this is all going to die. Yeah. I'm not going to be able to eat all of this. I can feed some to my chickens and I can compost it, but it's, that's not what you put all that time and effort into. Right. And I think it kind of sneaks up on some, some newbies, you know, not that we're not newbies ourselves, but, um, it's, uh, it, when it's not talked about and, uh, and the growing is talked about so much, I think that that's it's going to be a big, a big problem that a whole bunch of people will be facing in the near future. Yeah, and if it's not a problem they're facing, it's it's a problem that they could face. I would say, you know, like I don't know what's going to actually happen. I sure. go back and forth with thinking uh, they're trying to hide the the food um, shortages from us, and they're trying to destroy the system. To they're trying to scare us, and there's actually no shortages at all. You yeah, know, like and and just to be clear, I'm not talking about food shortages in what I'm saying oh. at all. Just if, if everything goes swimmingly, the economy uh, gets better and stronger and, you know, we don't have to worry about anything, but we're all doing our, our, our part of just trying to get back to nature and grow some food. Oh, yeah, yeah. Then, you know, uh, especially by year two or three, you're probably expanding the amount of food that you're getting. And if you don't consume all of that, you have to have a plan. Right. For where I see that what you're goes. saying. So there's, there's either, there's, there's either some type of waste and it's not, it's doesn't, it's not horrible. Like compost is good. And it goes back into the soil. Feeding your chickens makes eggs, you know, feeding hogs or whatever. If you have that, mm-hmm. uh, feeding your neighbors is great too. Making sure. a couple of dollars, if you can get rid of it for That's that, great. it's great. Or trading all of these things. But if you really want to get to the point where you can be eating the stuff that you grew, even for Christmas dinner, then you have to start to think about how you're going to preserve preserve food and and long-term storage stuff like potatoes and squash like i was just working with a butternut squash this morning here we are in middle of may mm-hmm. and uh we grew that in our last year's garden and i'm really proud of that we don't have a root cellar and so i'm kind of like experimenting with the way i store it to see how long i can make it last and doing those things now so i really know is what makes me feel secure and Us as a couple, as a family, feel like if shit hit the fan, you know, we have a fighting chance. We have a head start. We have... We have what we need to get by for a little bit, and we have the skills we need to just get get to work. Yeah, that's the secondary level of this to me, is that, like, yeah, like, if if all the things that I don't want to happen, that I talk about happening all the time, if that does happen, then, um, yeah, we have a slight chance. <laughs> we got a little bit better chance. We've got, we have a much better chance than we would if, if we just hadn't thought about this stuff at all. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, if anyone wants to talk about food preservation on their podcast, I feel like I should be getting around and just talking about this as much yeah, as I can. For sure. So canning, dehydrating, salt curing, and any kind of food preservation with always, I have an emphasis on, on fermentation because it's the easiest one, the least equipment and the one that works with nature, um, not against it. And that one really is something I think most people overlook when they're thinking about food preservation. Mm -hmm. Um, so if anyone wants to talk about it, let me know. Um, 
beyond that, if, if, if you feel like you missed out again, um, this has been the second fermentation for food preservation workshop I've done online. Um, I just want some emails from people who want to attend and then I'll set a new date for, for doing that again. Once you have enough people. Yeah. And I'm not even that many people, five people would be enough for me to do it. We've, Mm -hmm. we had, um, a dozen the first time and then a baker's dozen last time. (laughs) So, you know, that's a good size, size, um, group. I feel like if it got much bigger than that, it might be harder to interact with people and remember everybody's names and all that, like I like to do. Um, but I would deal with that problem once we got there, Mm -hmm. but really, I don't think I will. Um, so if you, if you are thinking of wanting to do that, just send me an email and then I'll add you to the list. So when I set that date, I will notify you. And there has been somebody who wanted to do it, um, later in an evening and somebody in Australia who wanted me to kind of plan around his time zone. So I might try to do a Friday evening one, um, so that people could be like trying to do that, uh, um, after work, which would put it, you know, midday Saturday for us, this Australia time and trying to work that out. Sure. Um, but for scheduled stuff now, I have the fermented beverages workshop that'll be online June 5th at 2 PM Pacific standard time on zoom. Um, you can email me if you want to sign up for that. I have a couple people there already. Um, we'll go over kombucha, water kefir, fruit kvass, beet kvass, and tapache, ginger bugs and ginger beer. And if you don't know what any of that stuff is, then the workshop will go over all of that in detail. And if you know what that stuff is, but you've never done it and you want to try, then this would be a great place to start. So, um, kombucha is something that's really involved and you keep it, it's alive and you have to take care of it and you have to feed it. And it's like a perpetual ferment, as I like to say, or a rhythm ferment. So you keep it going. The kvass is a one-off thing. You make a batch of it and you can forget about it and make it again when you want to. So I really think I want to encourage people, introduce them to that and see if you can get some probiotic fizzy drinks in your life in time for summer when fruit is abundant. Mm-hmm. So email me, greenerpostures at pm.me, if you want to sign up for any of that. Um, Other than that, the new Feed the Beauty uh, episode is out on the um, False Reality Check feed. So if you didn't catch that yet, we just recorded our third episode a couple days ago, and it's out now. Um, So check that out as well. Wonderful dynamic on that show, I believe. Yeah. Yes. Um, Anything else? Yeah, sounds good to me. All right. What What do you got? Uh, I don't know. Don't really have anything. We could just BS a little bit and see if it leads anywhere. Okay. See if there's any hidden subjects in it. Um, like you remember that time that we went to Deception Pass, and uh, we'd we'd left early in the morning, and uh, I well, on the way I was like, man, I, I really could go for a cup of coffee. I wish I had made one before we split. And I said, I'm just gonna go to the next. Um, you know, what do you call those coffee stands yeah. that are on the side of the road, you know, drive through. I don't know if those are all over the place, but they're definitely in I think abundance they are in the now. Northwest. They used to be just here. And then like, I think they're everywhere now. Yeah. 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 And we were on our way to Deception Pass and I pulled into the next one. And I don't know if this is still a thing, but at the time they were all over around here that there were the Foxy. Oh yeah. That's the brand name, but it, it's like the, you know, the, the uh, uh, scantily clad ladies like swimsuits Uh, like yeah swimsuits or lingerie i I think maybe it's not a thing anymore or maybe it's like changed because there were some health code issues there was health code violations and then there was also some sting operation with like prostitution in seattle certain of that because like as we pulled out and i had no idea that was the type of place that we were pulling into i do remember this because we had our like newborn like few month old in the back or was i pregnant 
<sighs> was it the time we got stuck on the bridge because there was a car accident? No. Okay, so no, we had the different. we had the, the baby we had the baby in the back. Uh, but we were on the other side. We were stuck on the on the other side from where where that coffee stand yeah. was that we stopped at. Whatever. Uh, yeah, and as we as we pulled in, and you know, I was. Oh, let's see. I'm gonna get you know this size cup of coffee, and I look up, and here's this girl like with twenty giant old. boobs, <laughs> barely being contained in a bikini, and uh, she's like, "What can I get for you?" <laughs> and I was just like, "Uh, can I get a cup of coffee with <laughs> extra milk?" <laughs> she's making it you keep looking at me and you're like yeah extra milk you get it because of her boobs (laughs) extra milk and we couldn't help but think later that that was probably the weirdest (laughs) like conversation she'd had or you know comment she'd had which is an odd thing to of that day anyway of the which is, is which is strange because you know that dudes are saying really messed up stuff. Oh yeah, it's probably super gross. <laughs> she art. expects everybody to to make like really crude, disgusting comments, or even just not crude and disgusting, but flirtatious. Mm-hmm. You know, um, things like that. But how many people do you think went through there and saw a big-breasted young woman and talked about milk? <laughs> Nobody. Like no one, because our culture has uh, has kind of shifted us in a way that makes us not associate boobs with milk. It's very true, and that actually leads me to something that I wanted to talk about. Yeah, there's uh, that's actually in the news right now, isn't it? Yeah, um, everybody is talking about this formula shortage. Yeah, I heard. I heard that there was a recall. They just did a recall, and now there's a shortage of formula, so babies aren't going to be able to get fed. Well, actually, if you were following this in the news the way they were unrolling it, they were telling you there was a shortage. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find anywhere that there was a recall. Until I started digging. Mm -hmm. Until today, on Twitter, I saw on the sidebar, trending news, said there was a recall Mm -hmm. causing the shortages. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why didn't you tell us that in the first place? So to back up a little bit. So I go digging for this because I'm like, what is the deal with the formula shortages? And I go on like Infamil's website and they're out of stock and they're have this little disclaimer that says I'm we're, we're a shortage. We have a shortage due to increased demand of our product because of another products recall. And I was like, what recall? This is the first I've heard of it. So I click on that and it, it just talked about how Infamil was not recalled and how their product was safe. Mm -hmm. So I was like, that didn't get me anywhere. So then I Googled it or whatever, duck, duck, go to, and, um, I found an article from February February, March, April, May, three months ago, mm-hmm. saying that there was a recall due to salmonella and a, another type of bacteria I wasn't familiar with where a few babies were sickened and possibly linked to one death. Hmm. That's horrible, right? Mm-hmm. And so this was, I believe, a, 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 a plant that was um, manufacturing for Similac, which is another really big national brand. But then they also manufacture for a few um, like off brands as well. Because, mm-hmm. you know, when you buy like Western Family, it's the same shit from the the place, the brand name one. Sure. Half the time. Yeah. In, in a different package. Right. So. Um, 
that's the case, that's the case with all kinds of products. Oh yeah, things yeah. So um, it said that there was a problem in the plant, and then the plant was shut down for investigation, and that it was still shut down for investigation. So it had been closed for three months, and it was not clear if it was going to reopen. So then I found another article that said that it was going to reopen. They were going to start manufacturing things soon. Um, and then there would be their product on the shelf. I couldn't remember if it, if it was like two or three weeks or maybe two months. I can't remember a long time mm-hmm. from, if you say there's no baby food and there's no baby food, then this, it's a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, why, why would they have shut that down for as long as they did? And why would they have done that and ne- not announce that in any way where people could have planned ahead? Or where maybe like the other factories could have bumped up their production. Yeah, yeah, because we're talking in this three month span. Right? Yes, right. So yeah, so for, so for those with the eyes to see it at at that time, which we weren't because we don't use formula, but like if if we were as critically minded as we are, but yet still used formula, I'm sure we would have known about said recall and been like, hey, 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 there's there's something coming. Yeah, so it was, a, and the article was uh, from Yahoo News from oh, yeah. February 18th, uh-huh. and it said um, Abbott Nutrition, that's the name of the um, manufacturer, the of the factory that closed. It's voluntarily recalling, which means it wasn't forced, which is interesting too. It just means probably that there was an accusation against them and an investigation starting, and they voluntarily recalled their product, uh-huh. which means anything that's in the factory or already on store shelves is going to get pulled and destroyed. Yeah. And even they put, when that happens, they also put an, um, an alert out to customers and tell you, hey, check your shelves for these products in your house. If you've bought them and you know the barcode ends with blank, 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 then this has been recalled and you need to return it for a refund. So they're actually going to take not only the formula off the shelves and out of their factory and destroy it, they're taking it out of your kitchen and destroying it too. Yeah, you know, something I haven't really thought about with this is uh, what is the substance that we're talking about? Is it liquid? This is powdered baby formula. As yeah, far most, as of it's, most of it's powdered. They do also, right? yeah, they do also make some liquid ones, but I think that's more for toddlers. We're talking about infant formula that would be... Um, um, the powder. I don't know why that strikes me as so odd that there would be salmonella and bacterial blah, 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 whatever it is, bacterial, I want to say infection or whatever. Yeah. But, uh, um, like in, in a dry powder. So um, it says there was three types of infant formula after four, recalled after four babies became sick with bacteria infections after consuming the products. The recall um, is for select lo- uh, lots of Similac, Alimentum, Alimentum and Elicare formulas that were manufactured at the Abbott facility in Sturgis, Michigan. So the FDA warned consumers not to purchase the formula or certain powdered formulas produced at the facility. The FDA investigation complaints of four infant illnesses from, uh, four, from three different states and all related to the complaints were hospitalized from Chronobacter. I don't. I know if I'm saying that. C R O N O B A C T E R. I've never heard of that before. I wanted to look into it, and that that bacteria may have contributed to death in one case. Um, so that wasn't. That was February 18th, and then May 12th there was a Fox News article saying that Abbott Nutrition has finally provided a timeline for when new stock from the shuttered Sturgis baby formula manufacturing facility could hit store shelves. 
And it could be, oh, here we go, at least two months. So May 12th, they're saying, oh, okay, so we're going to have a plan to reopen. It's going to be two more months. So they clo- they're closing this facility for five months. And a facility who, who creates formula for several large brands, including Similac. Similac is huge. So then I'm like, so what's the big deal about baby formula? Like what, what's even in that? Why is there bacteria? So I was thinking just like you were, right? Yeah. So then I went to the Similac uh, website and I looked up the Similac 360 Total Care Infant Formula. Um, <laughs> our cl- it says our closest formula to breast milk. And I'm not even reading the whole thing. Let me read the whole title of what this brand is. Okay. Similac 360 Total Care. Those are both registered trademarks. Similac and 360 Total Care. <laughs> I get two of them two in there. Two R's. Infant formula with five HMO prebiotics, our closest formula to breast milk, non-GMO baby formula powder. Okay. <laughs> the allergen statement says it contains milk and soy. Here, I'm going to try my best to read these ingredients, okay? I oh might my get gosh, too that's bored. a long list there. Okay. <clears throat> I, I don't think I could pronounce. Just looking at the size of it, I know that I won't be able to pronounce half those words. Okay. Non-fat milk. I got I did it. Nice. Yeah. That's no, it? No, no. Lactose, high oleic sunflower oil. Oh, sorry, safflower oil. Whey protein concentrate. Soy oil. Coconut oil. Human milk olive oligosaccharides, oligosaccharides. Um, I don't think I've ever seen human anything on a, what is that? Yeah. I want to dig into that. And in parentheses, there's a bunch of words I can't read. That's, that's whatever that makes up that, um, human milk thing. And then uh, it says, um, it says the, the source is HMO, not from human milk. So what does HMO stand for? And then you have to say, is this like some kind of modified organism, HMO? I mean, I don't know. I, I didn't look yeah. into that yet, but it's making me go, okay, lots of red flags here. Human and modified organism? Huh? Uh-huh. Uh, are we so there, oh, that's milk? creepy. I, I, I should have looked farther into this first. This yeah. might be need to be a two-parter episode. Less than 2% of coney oil, C-O-H-N-I-I oil, M- Alpha oil, beta carotene, lutein, potassium citrate, calcium carbonate, ascorbic acid, soy lecithin, potassium chloride, magnesium chloride, ferrous sulfate, chlorine, chlorine bi, bitrate, <laughs> choline chloride, ascorbyl palmite salt, taurine, insetol. Zinc sulfate, mixed so many big words that I don't know. Niacinamide, calcium, something else, vitamin A, palamate, copper, sulfate, thiamine, hydrochloride, riboflavin, pyroxide, hydrochloride, folic acid, manganese sulfate, biotin, sodium, selenium, vitamin D3, vitamin B12. Caspium, calcium phosphate, potassium phosphate, potassium iodine, potassium hydroxide, nucleotides, a bunch of different kinds of those. And yeah. All right. Okay. I got two things. Sure. Uh, one, I got really bored while you were pronouncing some of those words <laughs> Me too. and I thought about it and that, um, well, HMO, uh-huh. uh, 
the other that ingredient that it was talking about was human milk all oligarchies or something <laughs> like that. I can't remember what it you was, said. It uh, was human milk oligosaccharides. Okay, that's which that's to me H-M-O. sounds like it sounds human like milk oligosaccharides. Oh, okay, so. okay, okay. So that's what that stands for. What is an oligosaccharide? The root words make me think it's oil and and sugar, like saccharin. Is a type of sugar, like yeah, a fake sugar. Yeah, and yeah, saccharide. Oligo sounds like oleo, you know, like uh-huh. oil. But that's just me, again, without a high school diploma. That's just how I figure shit out. Yeah. So I would, um, that's my understanding at this time, and I want to dig into that more because I didn't even really look at that. Okay. Now, the other thing that I just want to say, fresh off of that ingredients list, yeah. is it's a question, not really to be answered, but how many of those later ingredients that I got bored while you were? reading them have uh, a whole set of ingredients to that single ingredient. So there was like at least three things where I skipped over the parentheses after the word. Okay. But I, I guess, I mean, but then um, even further than that, yes. Like like when you say, um, you know, vitamin blank. Well, well, what goes into making uh, potassium hydroxide? What goes into making, you know, magnesium sulfate? Those are just vitamins. There's vitamins, there's minerals here, there's preservatives, um, you know, like citric acid. I don't, what? Taurine? Isn't that like in energy drinks? That's Oh, taurine? T- T-A-U-R-I-N. I've always yeah. pronounced it taurine. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, I mean, I've seen that for there years used to in be supplements one and stuff that, like, like that. had a bowl then, on the front, and it was like taurine energy drinks. And, yeah. and, and when that came around previously to that, I was familiar with that word from some supplements and things like that, like in the, in the quote-unquote natural food sections and things like that. So, yeah, wow. Wow, this is that's, – so, that's quite – a ingredient list for something to be feeding a brand new life. Yeah. So I, I then just to compare, I went to the Infinmel website, which is the other most popular formula that I'm, that I know of E N F A M I L Infamil. And it was interesting because when I typed that into my notes, it auto-corrected and changed the word to nefarious. What? <laughs> no, oh, I was like, dude. oh, geez. So anyway, this one also starts with n- non-fat milk, lactose, vegetable oil, which is palm, coconut, soy, and hyalic sunflower oils, whey protein, lipid concentrate, which the source of that is MFGM, which stands for milk fat globule membrane. <laughs> so they're just like dissecting actual food. And then trying to isolate parts of it and then add that back together is what I'm seeing. Yeah, like within that, like, you know, like listing, both of these have lots of uh, vegetable oils and things like that. And in our conversations about health in general, we do tend to always lead back to that these these vegetable and seed oils are not not quality. So just for context, our 18-month-old has been eating some solids of some form or another since he was about six months old. Um, He has still never had grain because I don't think that his digestive system is ready for that. He's never had vegetable oils. The closest to that would be peanut oil that he's had. Sure. And um, he's had avocado oil. He's had coconut oil. He's had olive oil. He's all, all the things that you can squeeze and make oil from. Yeah, the things that... That actually contain fat. If you and I were able to produce them... We we could probably we get could. some. We could get something. Yeah. If we out of if it. we had a, uh, an avocado tree, we could make avocado oil. If we had coconut, you know, same. Uh, unlike soy or um, safflower, I remember you mentioned exactly that one. canola oil, vegetable oils, soy oil, palm oil, any of those things. Yeah, yeah. all those. Yeah, industrial seed oils, poison stuff, not good for anybody, especially uh-huh. babies. But this is what the main ingredients in these formulas are. So 
I'm looking at this and I'm going, this is not food. Why are people crying that this is off the shelf? And I'm like, well, it's because so many people rely on that to feed their babies and they think that's what good nutrition is, right? Yeah. And this is not food, but keep in mind that most of us, most of us, I, I want to say most of us humans, but at least most of us in our culture, I don't, I, I can't speak for around the world, but we're not eating real food. Yeah. You know, uh, um, the, Really, that ingredients list, like, I mean, it's it's like overwhelming to me to listen to with our, you know, lifestyle or whatever you want to call it that we that we lead. Um, but that's no different than like you're going to see all those ingredients, except for the one that said human. The H-M-O. Yeah, but I, I want to look into what that is. It's um, really weird. You're going to see that on just about every product that you can pick up at Walmart or Costco yeah. or wherever, you know. So I am of the firm belief that the best food for a newborn baby is breast milk. And I don't think that that should be outrageous in any way because That's that is like outrageous. literally what nature would intend. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, the baby has a rooting reflex when they are first born that they will squirm around until they find a nipple, just like you've seen blind little puppies or kittens do. Yep. And they, um, will suckle for the first about three days and just get colostrum, which is a thick yeah. yellowish like substance that the baby only needs about a teaspoon a day to fill all of its nutritional needs. Right. Right. And, and that's not milk. It's right. not. It's what comes before your milk comes in. So when your baby colostrum, is born. Colostrum is used as an ingredient in things uh, because uh, I, I assume cow colostrum is yes. what I'm thinking of. Yes. Uh, for like the, for like Dutch pancakes. Pancoken. Uh, pancoken. And that was the traditional was colostrum. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very nutritious milk. Oftentimes people who have dairy cows will reserve some of it in a freezer because if there is a newborn where the mother is having a hard time or is rejecting the calf, then they can feed the calf that really nutritious milk. Mm -hmm. um, same with if a family member would be sick. It's, mm -hmm. it's just so chock full of nutrition. So those first few days, your baby's not drinking milk they're drinking colostrum and then your milk comes in and you know it when it happens and it's can be painful and it can be kind of hard at first to nurse yeah. um especially for a first baby mm -hmm. but uh with help from pe from people with experience or you know um just patience then it it starts to work out and the beautiful thing about it is the demands of your baby um, will dictate how much milk you make. Mm -hmm. So if the baby, if you want to make more milk, you need to nurse or pump more. Mm -hmm. And if they slow down, then your production will slow down. Yeah. So, um, it's almost like magic. It's almost like magic. It's a beautiful thing. So I was thinking, so this for me, the first time I wanted a breastfeed, obviously, because I, I knew the benefits to the child. Um, I knew that it was more natural. I knew that there's an emotional connection there. Um, I didn't know how long I would go. I, I think when we had our first son, I wasn't like, I'm never going to use formula when I was pregnant. But I think I, 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 it's, I, I was thinking I would pump milk and go back to work after a couple months that first time. And I ended up not. I stayed home for two years. Yeah. So when I was considering that I was going back, I decided what everyone tells you to do is build up your freezer stash. So you start pumping and freezing your milk so that you have enough milk to get your baby through uh, when you go back to work. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is such a hassle. You hook up to this machine. Sometimes you don't even want to have a letdown, which was when your milk starts to come out mm -hmm. uh, because you're not 
like my uh, milk comes out because the baby's yeah, there. It's like a hormonal yeah. response. So you're like trying to like, like, uh, um, I don't know if it's, if I can think of it happening with you, but I know of it as a concept that like, uh, if someone who's, who's breastfeeding hears a baby crying, that's hungry. Yes. Like if they're at the store, they'll just start dumping milk. Yeah. And so when I, when I was away from our son for the longest period of times where I would start to get full, if I was at the store and I heard or saw another baby, I would start to get a little, and I'd be like, Oh, I need to not think about that right now. Milk all over the floor. (laughs) It wasn't like I dropped a gallon of milk. (laughs) It was like my shirt maybe had a tiny wet spot. Yeah. So, um, when I'm thinking about how important that breastfeeding then became to me, which was like pumping was hard, cleaning bottles, making sure they're sanitary, storing in the freezer, wondering if the nutrition was still good after you're thawing it, how you're thawing it, dishes you're doing for all that. It was like a hassle. So a lot of why I even just kind of was like, I don't want to go back to work is because I didn't want to do all of that. And I still wanted to be able to breastfeed. Yeah. Um, but if you think about pumping, you're, you're, um, you're even taking a big part of what that exchange is, mm-hmm. which is your exchange of your your microbiome and your connection, your body heat, your skin contact, your eye contact. All of those things are so important. There's so much connection and growth and in our relationship and getting to know each other that happens between me and the baby every time we nurse. And he's 18 months old today. Oh, yeah. It's the 17th. So a year and a half in, and I'm still nursing him more than my first one. My first son stopped at 18 months, and he was down to just once a day. That's not happening with our second one. He's yeah. he's way more into the milkies. So I'm nursing. Last night, he woke up four times. I, I nursed him last night four times because he's getting teeth. If I didn't have that to go to in the middle of the night, it would be so much harder to comfort him when he's hurting. Mm-hmm. And he um, gets that extra nutrition that he needs. So I don't really worry too much if he's eating enough food because he's getting what he needs from me yeah. and everything else is just kind of like supplements and it's learning almost, and experience practice. Yeah. yeah. Or learning as you just oh, said. He's, yeah. he's getting to where he does need that nutrition as well. He's, he's growing, but up until now it's been pretty much, yeah, practice just, mm-hmm. uh, just for fun. Um, so with breastfeeding, I was like, so how many, I mean, what, so you always heard like, okay, so there was, um, the history of, of, of formula, uh, they started to promote it in the, I think earlier than I thought. Um, I would just off the top of my head, not knowing anything, I would guess the 1950s. Right. Okay. So the first, um, infant food was invented in 1865. Whoa! Yeah. That's a year that just keeps coming up. (laughs) Throughout history, mothers who could not breastfeed their new babies, um, they usually employed a wet nurse or less frequently prepared food for their babies called dry nursing. But there was an instances during that time where people, uh, the babies were getting sick or malnutrition because there was not enough, they weren't getting enough with this dry nursing thing. So there was um, some companies that started to come up with it, but it didn't become popular until later. Um, let's see. Raw milk formulas. That was um, basically like a recipe you were given cod liver oil or raw milk. And that's pretty close to what um, Weston A. Price recommends now if you absolutely cannot nurse yeah. to give a real food diet. It's cod liver oil, I think beef liver, um, uh, raw milk, um, cream, maybe grass-fed butter, like all really good stuff. 
And um, you can find that on their website. I'll link and to it in our our uh, notes here. But you're talking about a product that, that was like that? But yeah, so uh, no, it was and, like and, more and, like... And where are we at? Are we at early 20th century? We're now? still in the, in the late 18... We're okay. in 1907. Okay, so, so yeah. okay. So this was a recommendation from doctors that, that uh, the parents mix cow's milk, water, cream, sugar, or honey in specific ratios. So you might have seen like on Twitter and stuff, there's like this picture that's going around that was like basically, it would look like a prescription where there was some handwritten spots. For carnation. And it said like caro syrup was an ingredient. Yeah. Yeah, that was this time. Yeah, the sweetened condensed milk with... And it said caro. And And so that came a little after. So in 1920s and 30s, evaporated milk began to be widely commercially available. And that's what they were recommending. And to mix that with other things, they were calling it a percentages formula, I believe, which was maybe when the term formula started to come into play. Okay. Um, Commercial formulas also started in the early 1900s. Um, And let's see, Nestle is one of the companies that were were first marketing things. Um, How do you like that? Yeah, isn't that interesting? Major, the, the, I, I guess I don't know that much about Nestle, but I think of uh, like chocolate when I hear that. Yeah, like a, it's like a like a, a candy company yeah. or something. So um, we had like in the late 1920s, uh, Similac was started, which was is stands for similar to lactation. I didn't know that. Oh, huh. um, more you know. Yeah. Um, these formulas are released over the next few decades. So that was the 20s, 30s, 40s. Um, but they weren't really like competing with each other until the 50s. When you think about the 50s, you think about other things, convenience products coming to market, right? Yeah. Um, you think about TV dinners. TV um, dinners, hostess, boxed cakes. Yeah, but cake mix and stuff yeah. like that, right? Yeah. Um, so let's see where it was I here. They were starting to market it more heavily, heavily, and then by the early 60s, commercial formulas were more commonly used than evaporated milk formulas in the United States. So instead of mixing your own from evaporated milk, you're starting to buy a product, right? And that's in the early 60s, mm-hmm. um, which nobody was, by the 70s, nobody was using that um, recipe anymore, and they were only buying commercial formulas. And in, this is what's shocking. By the early 70s, over 75% of American babies were fed on formula. Holy smokes. Which was almost entirely commercially produced. Now, I'm full disclosure, I'm reading a Wikipedia page, people. You could do this too. Who the fuck knows if this is true or if any of this even happened or if we're not just yeah. living in a simulation or like... Sure, uh, sure. But I, I like, um, you know, I use Wikipedia when I'm just trying to get what... Um, what everybody else knows. So yeah, exactly. So why I started to look into this and why I wanted to share this is because what is conventional um, thought, yeah. you know, saying about okay. all of this? So, um, so let's say birth rates in industrial nations tapered off during the 1960s. Um, I would say because women started to go back to work, right? Infant formula companies height, heightened marketing campaigns in non-industrialized countries. So this is the sad part. Unfortunately, poor sanitation led to steep increased mortality rates among infants fed formula prepared with contaminated water. 
So these companies went to, say, Africa and told them to use this because it's better for their babies than breast milk. People did that and their babies fucking died. Wow. And that was Holy because shit. there was not good water there. And that it's really, really sad. And it's similar to things that we do now with other programs where we're like feeding them GMO corn and nothing else. Yeah. And they have those distended bellies because they're not getting enough protein. Right. Um, so... Uh, the World Health Organization has cited over-diluting formula preparations as resulting in uh, infant malnourishment. So that that's also like in countries that maybe things are scarce or places where things are scarce. They're just right. they say if it, if you add one cup of water, well we're going to do two, we're just going to add a little water. more and stretch this so yeah. the baby's you know doesn't cry and they can stay full for longer. But really, you're just giving the baby water yeah. because if you're breastfeeding, it's not re- recommended that you give the baby water at all until they're like six months old until they start eating food yeah. because all all of that, uh, their hydration comes from the breast milk itself. Right. And breast milk is high in fat. So um, things that I was reading that were, I mean, the kind of fats that come from breast milk or even raw cow's milk is totally different than all of those vegetable oils that yeah. we were listing a little while ago. Yeah, it's like, uh, it's like, I don't know, I feel like these scientists go, well, there's X amount of fat in this food so if we make x amount of fat from whatever source we want it will be the same food that they're eating you know yeah and uh and in this case it's that just seems dangerous so this even led to um a boycott of nestle in 1977 Mm. people were calling for an end to unethical marketing Uh um so it was seems like this was going on for a while there and um it the international code of marketing of breast milk substitutes. So it sounds, sounds like there's a company or like an organization still to this day. That's called that international code of marketing of breast milk substitutes to make sure that, that these companies aren't making claims that aren't are false. So it's like a watchdog, not like a union that's protecting them, but more like a watchdog. Right. That's what I would think. That's just from just looking at it. So, um, the Wikipedia page goes on to talk about generic brands starting to make stuff, um, toddler formula is starting to be recommended and the usage since the seventies, everywhere I've ever heard is always saying that we, we did, we had to the point where we were like in the eighties feeding, I don't know, like 90% of babies on formula Yeah. and that there has been like a re, you know, a resurgence of breast feeding and because of things like the Leliche League, which is an organization that's not a nonprofit that helps women understand, learn, educate, breastfeeding, outreach kind of stuff. Sounds great. Lactation consultants that'll come to your house and help you get a good latch with the baby and how you can tell if they're full and that they're getting enough food, mm-hmm. um, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I've always thought, well, that's a really good thing. This was a problem that people were feeding their baby formula and they were not well cared for, but now that's not a pr- problem anymore. And now I am looking into this for myself for the first time, really deeply. And I go to the CDC's website because that's where you go for all sorts of information that you know to be completely 100% true and accurate. (laughs) So that's where I went, of course. Um, so they do, they say that breastfeeding is better than it used to be. And then I'm like, cool, let's, let's try to find out. Is better than it used to be? Meaning we're doing it more. We're doing it more. Yes. No, um, they're not saying that. Oh, it used, oh, to, be yeah, it used bad, to be bad, but now, now it's good. It's good no, no, no. Because I wouldn't put it past them to say stupid shit. Yeah, like that. no, that's just me. That's how that stupid shit. <laughs> um, so, okay. So there was baby for <coughs> infants born in 2018. 
um, were then surveyed in 2019 and 2020. Um, not the babies probably, but their parents, because I don't think the babies could really tell them. Um, but the percentage of infants who are breastfed ever means like even if like in the hospital they latched one time and then they were fed, fed formula from then on out, 83.9%. So at first glance, you said if the number of infants who are breastfed, 83.9%. Oh my gosh, that's so much better, right? Mm -hmm. Percentage of infants who are breastfed at six months, 56.7. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that went down quite a bit by six months. Percentage of infants who are breastfed at one year, 35, 35%. Okay. So you're not supposed to, to do cow's milk till a year. You're supposed to do breast milk or formula. So if you're not, if you're saying that they're not breastfed at, up to the year, that means that they're having some formula. Okay. Okay. Same if they're, if they're following the rules. Yeah, well, yes, I guess somebody could break it, but it seems unlikely in this day and I, age. Yeah, I know. Okay. So here's this interesting part. Per percentage of infants who are breastfed exclusively means there's, they're never having anything except mom's milk at three months of age is 46.3%. So less than half of babies are doing what we did. Okay. And the first number that you gave was in the 80s? Yeah. And, and that just means they've had some breast milk. And they could also be either having breast milk and formula, or they could have breast milk once and then have formula for the rest of the time. Right. So the second, the last number that you gave then, it was in the 40s, and that was for... Um, if they're exclusively, exclusively. breastfed at, so, at three months of age. So the first three months of their life, they've only been breastfed. That's 46.3%. So of that 80 some percent, um, that are fed only breastfed. Yeah. Um, about half of them are exclusively breastfed. Sure. Does yeah. that seem? That seems about right. right. And I'm then if we, we get to six months of age, mm -hmm. exclusively breastfed through six months of age is only 25.8% of babies. Okay. Only a quarter of, of, of the babies in the world, in the America, are are exclusively breastfed for the first six months okay. of their lives. And, and hidden within this, uh, like you just said, sorry, I'm just trying to wrap my head around all this. Mm -hmm. um, so... In those first six months, we can just assume if people are following the rules, which we assume people pretty much are, Yeah. no one's feeding cow's milk. Right. So anything other than breast milk makes it formula. That's kind of kind of right. like the, the only options that most people... I mean, of course, some people are doing the Weston A. Price sure. stuff you were talking yeah, about. But that's going to be like 100 people. But yeah, <laughs> like, like it's like not even... Millions. Not even a drop in the bucket. Okay. Okay. Okay, so very... So our son, who has been exclusively breastfed for 18 months. Now, he's not exclusive because he's eating food as well. But say for, for no, never, ever, ever had formula. Uh-huh. And you know what? They send it to your house. Oh, yeah. We, we got so much. We had a home birth. So we weren't even at the hospital. But just from filing paperwork of a live birth, then there was... There was samples somehow sent to us from Similec and Infomil. And in fact, that's the only reason at the beginning of this, I, I had to pause and ask you if what the product was that we were talking about being recalled, because uh, every little bit of this, I, you know, I'm not really paying attention to this. It's in the it's in that sidebar on on Twitter kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, that I'm aware of it, and that's about it. I've I've until today I've been assuming that was like a liquid thing, mm. you know, like cartons oh, or yeah. something. Okay. I don't know. I just didn't really. Yeah. Think why about would it. this powder have poison? then, you as know, you have were bacteria on it, that's as a great we were question. starting this conversation, I, w I was remembering all those those packets that came in the mail, and they were all packets and yes, packets you know, of powder. I, I never opened any, but they were obviously powder. They were. They would be know. single serving little tubes sometimes, like a few of them, like taped to 
something in inside an envelope. And other times they literally sent me a whole package with like a full size can of formula. I got two oh, full size cans. I kind of formula. remember that sitting around. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, well, should I keep the, I, part of me at that time is always like, should I keep it? Should I just put it in the, just in case, you know, what if something happens to me, you know, well, you know what, if something happened to me, please go online or get yeah. one of our crunchy friends involved there. We will find another well, mother that makes milk that yeah. could, could help us out. That's, that's not, if, if, God forbid anything happened to you. And if happened, unquote, something happened to me now, I mean. just feed him some more eggs and yeah, raw no, milk. If, if now, now we would, we would, we would deal with it. But I mean, back then that wouldn't have been the go-to. The only way that would have happened would have been if, if, um, as you, as you put it, if something happened to you, well, I might be devastated and our, our mothers might be put in charge of this. Yeah. And, and you know what both of our get. mothers did for us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we both were breastfed for a period of time yeah. after being C-sections, but we were also were formula fed for uh-huh. more, more often than not. And I'm, I bet we were formula fed more than is admitted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, we breastfed. Well, well in for their how minds long? too, like, like something that I'm sure we'll get out with this is, um, um, young women, uh, I, I feel like the younger they are, the more likely it is to, to, to happen that, um, that they're going to not want to breastfeed because it's, it's difficult. But if they did, even if they're part of that, what was it? 25% that, that did, yeah, did that, for get, the you know, get first, in on that yeah. 80% that we, that we, um, that we see at the beginning, or I guess I should be talking about the 80% number. The, the most of those, uh, they, they may have, have breastfed for like two or three days or yeah. a week or whatever. And that might've been a very difficult journey for them to have gone on for that one week. And they will remember that forever and how horrible it was or whatever, you know, you know whatever, it, whatever it, it is that turned them away from it. And then wait 40 years and ask them, did you breastfeed? And they'll say, oh, hell yeah, I breastfed. Oh, it was horrible. And they're going to barely remember that they that they mixed some formula with a freaking spoon, and, you know, or whatever. Like, or microwave the bottle. Like, that's so much oh, of what people are oh, doing. Oh, people microwave it too, Microwaving huh? the bottle in the plastic bottle. That's what people were doing when it was... Uh, there's no way that we weren't having microwaved formula when we were a kid. Oh, I didn't, because we didn't have a microwave yet, but... Um, really? Yeah, I remember oh. getting our first microwave. Hippies. It was, we weren't hippies, but <laughs> it was. I remember my mom like lighting bags of microwave popcorn on fire when I was really little in the gigantic microwave. Microwaves were still kind of a fancy convenience item. Yeah. As, as I was, like yeah. we were we were just kind of poor. And our first microwave was like freaking huge. We got it from some friends of ours that uh, owned a, a hotel. Uh-huh. Mac, Max Motel. Oh, really? And, yeah. yeah. They, and they, and they, um. Creepy crack uh, motel, but I, probably not at that time. Yeah, that was a long time ago, and they, they gave it to us. It was huge. I remember that really well. Um, I've always thought of formula or anything like that being heated up in a pan of water. Sure, with a like sitting, sitting in, in it. There. Yeah, um, and then you test it on the inside of your wrist yep, to yep. see if I, the liquid is too hot. I, I pictured that stereotype. Yeah, we just watched a Look Who's Talking. We talked about that. Oh, yeah, should we do another deep <laughs> deeper dive on Look Who's Talking? No. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, interesting. You mentioned younger mothers, maybe not wanting to, there is, it says, um, 20 to 29 year olds are less likely to ever breastfeed 81.2%, um, breastfeed ever breastfeed. Like we said, that first number we gave out, right. Mm-hmm. means doesn't mean anything except they tried it at least once. Um, mothers age 30 and older, 85.9%. They act like that's a big deal. That's like 4% difference. It's not, not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. This one was interesting though. 
Infants eligible for and receiving the Special Supplemental Nutrition Program for Women, Infants, and Children, also known as WIC or WIC, are less likely to ever breastfeed. 76.9%. So uh, like a full, um, you know, 5% less likely to breastfeed when you are are poor enough to be qualified for this um, government nutrition program. And that government nutrition program will give you free formula. Okay. So if you get free formula from the government, you're more likely to say, oh, well, I guess I'll take that. I'm going to say some real stupid shit now because uh, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Uh-huh. But I, it, it makes so much sense to me that younger and poorer people are less likely to breastfeed. And I think that that is largely due to drugs and alcohol. Uh-huh. Uh, and selfishness, I guess. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to be too much of an asshole here, but um, I think that the person who really wants to get back to drinking, get back to popping pills, oh, sure. get back to, to smoking weed. Um, so there, there's, you're, you're not wrong. Yeah. There, there's so many different reasons, though. So there's the party types, and the younger people are going to want, like, I want my life back, you know? I want to go out with my friends. I, you know, I, I at least I want to be able to go back to work and be a long, away for sure, a long time. That's the, that's the more wholesome version of what And I'm then thinking. there's also people who are on prescription medication that they believe they and, need to be on. And needing to get back to work, that also can tie into being poor. Uh, a single family, yeah, single mothers. A single mother who who is broke and doesn't have anyone picking up the the slack for her yeah. is like, man, this sucks. I just had a baby, but it's two weeks later and I got to get a paycheck. But when I look at these numbers and I think about different reasons why people would stop breastfeeding or never start in the first place, mm-hmm. I think of the feminist movement and I think of the women being pushed back to work. And, oh, I, no shit. and I think of this has been a, a this psyop that's been for generations okay. now of telling women that what they do at home is not important. Yeah. Breastfeeding is not important. Raising kids is not important. Taking care of your house, doing your laundry, doing your dishes is shit. Slave work. You should be embarrassed. That's you need to go out work. there and do a career and be a real person. Then if you you're going to be a real person. You got to work like a man. You're then you, you then you put your career in front of things like your child's nutrition. Yeah. And you think you're doing it to benefit your child because then they can get into a better school and they can join the soccer team and people won't make fun of them for having a home done haircut and you know everything else. Uh-huh. And so I I mean it's it's all part of the the same poison that we've been given for so long. Uh-huh. Um, so those those um, statistics there that we're proud of, you know, Laliche League mentions often like how much better it is now than it was in the 70s. I feel like that's still not very good. Yeah, it's... Oh, if gosh. you think only 25% of babies are exclusively breastfed for the first six months of their life, that's not enough. No, and that ends up being real close to that, uh, what was it, 77% on formula that yeah. was given before. Um yeah. Oh man. That I think that's see that's where data is a bunch of bullshit. Like I think that we would have an impossible time trying to figure that out. You could look at data and data and data and it will only make things more confusing. We would never be able to get a real read on are there more people breastfeeding or not? Today? Right. And so a lot of people fund a lot of the the money that goes into funding the um, studies that would be done on the effects of breastfeeding versus being formula fed are the formula companies. Mm-hmm. So we know what happens when you follow the money. We're not going to get on honest answers, but you do hear that there's a, an increased uh, occurrence of like ear infections and upper respiratory stuff, as well as 
tummy troubles and constipation, skin irritation, all this kind of stuff coming from formula fed babies versus breast milk babies, which don't tend to have tummy troubles. Mm. Um, spitting up is way worse if you're feeding uh, bottle feeding that because of sense. the airflow and the way the milk comes into them. Yeah. Even if you're feeding breast milk out of a bottle, out of a bottle. Um, but there is even worse if you're feeding formula out of a bottle. Okay. Like it's just hard for them. You feed them like twice as much as they need. Cause they're going to barf a bunch of it up. Interesting. And that, is that, that's like a thing. That's a thing. Okay. Yeah. So, um, basically it's just like allergies, uh, childhood obesity, uh, infections. Like I said, ear infections and stuff like that. All of those things are increased. Like I think the obesity one was really shocking. Like, it was saying that breastfeeding protects against childhood obesity through uh, a 2013 study reported less obesity at ages two and four years among infants who are breastfed for at least four months. So it doesn't say how much, but it's like this beginning of this uh, roller coaster of being addicted to sugar, conventional yeah. sugar. Because what we didn't see in there was sugar, but that's there's sugars in that. Oh, yeah. And it's it's not uh, it's not like made. Like we said, even within that HMO, there was the saccharin at the at the end of the word. Yeah. So it's the idea of having a tablespoon of sugar or having a, a two, two cups of berries. You get water and fiber and nutrients with the berries. You get nothing with the sugar. So even if there's the same amount of measurable sugar in those two yeah, items, the way your body takes them in and processes them is completely different. Yeah. And the amount of insulin that your body needs to make to handle that is completely different. I That's agree. what the water and the fiber does. Yeah. And um, so... Uh, it's, I could go on and on and on about the reasons why it's better to breastfeed, but it's just really shocking because it's like, it seems like in the hospital, they're like, are, is that okay? Oh, you know, like they're, the baby's not getting enough. It, it, they made me feel when we had the first baby in the hospital, like it was really worrisome if the baby wasn't latching and eating right away. Yeah. And it's, it's not. Okay. And then if they aren't nursing and it's like, oh no, your milk's not coming in. So you need to start giving them formula. Well, milk doesn't come in until three to five days. I've already mentioned that. Right. Uh So what are they talking about on day two in the hospital before you go home? Right. And, um, oftentimes like, I don't think this is as common now anymore, but maybe it isn't in certain hospitals, um, that aren't like our, our hospitals a little more in tune to like the natural childbirth side of stuff. Cause we have so many hippies in town. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they would just give the baby a bottle without even asking so you could sleep. Mm-hmm. And that that's horrible. Cause then they, it's called nipple confusion. Um, <laughs> You want to make fun of that's, that. That's my life. <laughs> You're so confused by nipples. <laughs> Why do men have them? That's the most confusing part. Hey, this is way off subject, but uh, have you ever heard, and do you believe, and do you know if it's true, do you have any evidences of that men can breastfeed? Like, and I'm not talking, not talking, I'm not tr- talking stupid. Transgender like, stuff. Yeah, okay. But that like in a, in a survival situation, if latched on long enough, a bit to to a man's a, a a a regular man a real man's nipple, uh, there there will eventually be milk. I don't know, but I know that there are mammary glands. There's the same tissue, except it's smaller. Like men can get breast cancer, mm-hmm. which is really uncommon, and yeah. it's I think it's because of the hormones and stuff. Yeah, it's more common for women. Um, but yes, you can. I could see how that could happen. 
Because because I learned that a long, 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 long time ago. Like before I'd questioned, you know, 90% of what I've questioned today. Mm-hmm. Um, and before I, you know, transgender was even a word in the, in the average person's vocabulary or whatever. And then it was kind of like this like evolution like concept, like it fit into, to me, I understood it in, in like a back when we were cavemen, if mom died giving birth, because of course moms must've died all the time giving birth back then or whatever, uh, then, um, and it was just baby and dad mm-hmm. and there's no way to feed. The, there's like nothing to feed this baby except, and, and, and assuming you don't have like animals that you've, you've taken yeah. care of well enough to be able to latch it onto a, to a, a cow's nipple or something sure. like that, that you instinctually would, would do that. And it might take days or something. I don't know. I don't know how I wrapped my head around it back then, but it was something that kind of like mold around in the back of my head for a long time. So there's, there's a whole bunch of other health effects that breastfeeding affects. <laughs> so there, there's, they say there's a, you have a lot, a less chance of getting leukemia as an, inf- as a child. If you are breastfed, you're less likely of having uh, celiac disease. You're less likely to ha- develop type one diabetes. You're less likely to develop type two di- diabetes later in life. If you've been breastfed, um, it reduces the risk of cardiovascular disease later in life, better cholesterol. Um, blah, 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 blah. There's, um, an interesting, so it said a 1998 study suggested that breastfed babies have a better chance of good dental health than formula fed infants because of the developmental effects of breastfeeding on the oral cavity and airway. So I've heard of this before. It's basically like the way the baby breathes through the nose and the way their mouth and jaw work together when they're breastfeeding is, is really helps form the muscles that then will help them swallow and digest and everything else. Right. Um, there were also less orthodontic interventions for children that were breastfed because they have a well-rounded U-shaped dental arch. Mm. And that is, so there's a, when I hear that, I think of two things. I think of like, okay, yes, that makes sense because they're using their mouth in a certain way with the breast tissue. It's different than with a nipple on a bottle. But then I also think of Weston A. Price's um, work and Weston A. Price foundation is based on the research that Dr. Weston, I don't know if he was actually a doctor, Weston A. Price, he was a dentist. Right. And he studied tribes in other countries that were undeveloped. And he compared um, tribes that did not eat the Western diet, still ate their traditional diets, to tribes that had already been exposed to Western foods and were eating them. And he found that their their arch of their their teeth were drastically different and that the ones eating a traditional diet had broad faces, broad noses, no problems with sinus problems or stuffiness, mm-hmm. good um, breathing abilities, straight teeth, and um, uh, strong jaws. Mm-hmm. And that the other ones had crowded teeth, trouble breathing, sinus problems, all of those things. Their face is basically scrunched? Scrunched up. Screwed up teeth, right? Yeah. And but, but that would go beyond the teeth of like sinus passages and stuff. Sure, like and narrow face, faces. Yeah, their whole face is kind of. And if in. you look at these people, you think it's like, oh, it's like the Gods Must Be Crazy movie, you know, like Aborigines, like really wide, beautiful faces, like 
really wide noses. Mm -hmm. And that was what was healthy. And then you look at the Western diet people and they have these more narrow faces. And then you look at what we consider attractive today in our, um, you know, models and, and things like that. And we're promoting the, this unhealthy, thin, different face, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, it's this idea that now, now we have to have our wisdom teeth pulled because there's no room. And that right. never was a, pro- would have been a problem at that time. That never, ever, ever set well with me. Yeah. So I, you, you would have had plenty of room in your nice arch of And I tried art. to fight that. I didn't, I said, I'm not going to get my wisdom teeth removed. I, I, I refused to do it because mm-hmm. because I, I said what just seemed logical to me as as they started coming in, which was that I, we did okay for, for yeah. thousands of years. Yeah. Uh, why would I need to get these and things removed? And they're called the wisdom teeth. And, the, and I felt them come in and they were okay. And, you know, like it was a little painful. But then uh, several years later, uh, and, and I had pretty, pretty decent, I mean, not the best, but decent um, uh, dental care. You know, I brushed my teeth and flossed and all that kind of stuff. And then suddenly one day I had really bad infection in my mouth. I went to the to the dentist and um, he looked at it and said, I have to surgically remove your wisdom teeth. And it was like a real big, like, he, like you're not getting out of this chair till we remove them. And as he, sh- he showed me my teeth when they were pulled out and they're both pearly white for exactly one half and one half was black and dead. And he said that the black stuff was all under my gums. It had never been exposed. And then as I as I took care of my teeth, I was keeping one half clean and food was getting back in there oh, and yeah. causing infections on the rest. And that, in this particular case, in my particular case, it's, I mean, that there wasn't room for those teeth in there. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting how much that breastfeeding affects a baby. But then if you step back a little bit and look at the mother... Um, the act of breastfeeding is a hormonal response for the mother and releases oxytocin, which they call that the bonding hormone. That's the hormone that makes you feel love, right? Mm-hmm. And so you get more bonding with your baby if you're you, breast milk. There's a hormonal reaction that happens to nur- when you're nursing. Um, there's also this, um, you know, they call it the fourth trimester, which would be after the baby is born and the the placenta is out, you're bleeding for a while. And it could be months sometimes. It could be a month. It could be a few weeks. It depends. But when you breastfeed, the oxytocin also causes contractions. Do you remember after the last one, I was having really strong contractions. contractions. I remember when you, when your uh, letdown would come, Yeah. you know, being like, I can't quite remember. Is it that you had a big contraction right before? It was during the time I was nursing him. It didn't matter. It was, it was was continuing as if I was in labor and would come in waves. Like I would have a contraction, it would wait. It would have a contraction. It was wait. You know, they were spaced apart just like, just like when I was in labor and they were about as strong as the labor. Interesting. I didn't know that during my first pregnancy. Uh Um, that didn't, I didn't feel that. And no one told me that. And I hear that um, the the midwife told me it's well second pregnancies and after those are they're usually stronger because your body knows what to do. Well, why does it know to do that? Well, those contractions, that oxytocin and those contractions, help to stop the bleeding. Okay. So I stopped bleeding way faster the second pregnancy than I did the first one. 
because this uh, this this whole system was working right. Yeah. My my uterus was contracting to finish everything. Gosh, and the human body is an amazing, amazing. I want to say machine. It's almost like, like it knows what to do like better than what science does. I think I think we're divine, man. Yeah. So I've been ranting now for over an hour. This is probably like our. I don't know. I've, I just, I could go on and on. I feel like I didn't even scratch the surface for some of the stuff I wanted to talk about. Breastfeeding for me has been one of the most rewarding things I've ever done in my life. Would you say it's spiritual? It is absolutely spiritual beyond what I can even comprehend or describe. There is this very direct, uh, exchange of energy that happens. There's exchange of energy with things we do all the time every day. Right now there's an exchange of energy, just me having this conversation mm-hmm. with you, with people who aren't even listening yet. Um, there's an exchange of energy when something is as hot and cold touch each other and you, you can you know see yeah. that and feel it, Absolutely. but there's never more one that's more direct that I see is I ate food and produced this milk and then I'm nursing a baby and they are taking it in and I see their tummy fill and they get calm and they grow like, whoa, like, holy crap. I'm doing that with my body. I made this thing. I pushed it out of me in my own bedroom and I nursed it. I kept him alive for for 18 months now without that outside intervention. I didn't have a doctor. I didn't even see a doctor during my during my pregnancy. I saw the midwife, Mm -hmm. but I never had, and I had an ultrasound shirt, but I never had a doctor tell me if I was going to be okay. I never had a bunch of extra work done and I didn't have one present when he was born. And I haven't had one trying to tell me how to feed him. And it's, um, it's just natural. Mm -hmm. And so when people, um, you know, trust the experts and trust the science to the point where they override their, uh, you know, intuition and, their natural instincts and they get put into the system early on formula and maybe even getting it for free from our government, then it's just really sad. The WIC program, even like after it, it, it supports mothers and babies for the first five years. So when you're pregnant, you can get food from them and then you can get infant formula and then you can get soft, like baby food in jars, like purees. And that's like a whole nother subject, like test positive for like arsenic and stuff. It's like horrible. Yeah, and Roundup. Heavy metals and glyphosate and everything else. Mm-hmm. And then WIC then gives you, after the year, they'll give you um, whole milk and they'll give you peanut butter or beans and cheese or yogurt, uh, whole grains, cereal. And like the cereals they approve are like sugary. I mean, it's not food. Like I'm not, I wouldn't, I'm not feeding any of that to my baby. Yeah. You know, maybe cheese, but then they, sure. they won't well, let, and the whole milk, but, but, but I want the, I want the raw milk. Right? Yeah. They won't let you get, um, they're like, they're milk. like, you can feed them cheese, but only craft single slices. Yeah. <laughs> You're not allowed to get organic. You're not allowed to get, um, sure. um, yeah, raw, yeah. of course, not no. raw. So it's just, it's really sad. And there's like all these different times where, you know, people are getting sick, you know, babies are getting sick because of something that happened in a factory. And, and really the answer to that is not, we need to open more factories or we need to put new regulations. And the answer to that is to take back 
feeding your kids. Mm -hmm. Take it back from the system. If you want to talk about decentralizing or homesteading or homemaking or whatever you want to talk about, feed your kids with your body. Yeah. It's easier, it's safer, it's healthier, it's less effort. And yeah, if you need support early on when you're first nursing, ask for it. I know it's hard, but really, if you're a partner of someone who's just had a baby, look for those signs that they need help and find someone to help them. Yeah. And, and really there's, there is always extenuating circumstances. You know, there's babies that are born with cleft palate mm -hmm. and they can't latch and they can't have their palate correcting surgery until they're like six months or older. Um, so I, I had a friend who had that and we donated oh. our breast pump to her and she successfully, you know, um, was able to pump her own milk and only feed her baby milk. And, and he had a cleft palate and, and he really had a special bottle. That, did that, did that work yep. out? She did really that good? exclusively. Oh, yeah. Great. And she thanked me for the breast yeah, pump. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I just hung out with that young man. Uh, yeah. I don't know. That was a little while ago. It was in the middle of COVID, but I went, we went and visited when our oldest was, he was probably like three mm -hmm. and he was so excited to see a baby and he bottle fed the little baby with the cleft palate. And I was, I was observing our son and he didn't even notice there was anything different about the baby. Yeah. And for me, it was so like not jarring. Like you don't see, you're not allowed to see that. You know what I mean? You don't see a baby with a cleft palate. They're always corrected. And like, he's a very handsome man now then. I mean, he was the cutest little baby when he, when he had that as well. It was like, so there's that there's, there's people being sick and stuff. But I think a large part of this is too, is we're just so involved in the medical industry. People are on multiple prescriptions. They're, they continue prescriptions through their pregnancy. They're on them afterwards, psychiatrics, um, sleeping pills, anti-anxiety, and that kind of stuff that comes through the milk. They're, the doctors are going to tell you not to feed your baby. And in that case, you know, they might be right. But it, it also feels like if you're to that point and you can't feed your baby, there are more natural um, ways to do it, but it takes a lot more effort. It would be yeah, really hard. I think that's... You know, I, I can like, I don't know that I've actually heard this, but I, maybe I'm just making it up in my head, but I can really picture people saying, well, I had to do formula. I didn't have a choice. Oh yeah. I didn't have a choice, you know, and that's something like just that phrase, um, you know, I, how many times did I bring that up over the last two years yeah. with, with Even the jabs in the last and all of days. that, you know, Everything people would say, choice. well, I didn't have a choice. And I'm I, every time I'd hear, or, or I had to wear a mask, I didn't have a choice. I, I couldn't help it. I, I just heard that so many times. And every time I'd think, no, you do. You do. You always, you always have a choice. You could quit your job. Yep. Yeah. That is, I mean. That's a choice. It doesn't mean it's an easy choice. And I, I mean, like all the way down to, I mean, I was being kind of dark with it with a few examples, you know, but like, uh, oh, really? Because, you know, I, I had to go to jail. I didn't have a choice. Well, you could have killed yourself. I mean, I don't mean to be a, a dick. But and then you're I, not encouraging that, but you're like just trying to point out, yes, that's it a choice. Is, it is still a freaking choice. And, and, and killing yourself there is a choice too. You know, I mean, they're two shitty choices. I ain't saying that that's a, a, a good spot. But. So I don't want to get too far into yeah, it because we're, we're, we're way over, but I, I do need to bring this up. A large part of when there is challenges with breast milk, it's, it's, a, it's a hormonal response when your milk comes in. And so when you go into a hospital and you have your baby in a hospital with the interventions that they provide with the epidural, with the Pitocin, with the whatever else that they give you, 
Um, those things all interfere with those physiological responses that your body should have after birthing a child. So a lot of the problems that I think women have early on with breastfeeding is also hand in hand with that. Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't feel, if you're not in a space where you could just take a dump, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you're not in a space where you're going to easily be able to give birth. And so if you feel like you, you don't have enough privacy, all of those things affect the hormones that are in your body and what it, the signals it's telling you, uh, you know, to let that baby come out, to open fully, and then also to let your milk come in. Mm-hmm. So all those medications they give you and they're sending women home with pain medication, or if you've had a C-section and you, you miss out on a lot of those hormones and you're, you've had a major surgery and you're in recovery and then... Yeah, on pain medicine, like all of those things affect your breast milk supply. So people always say like, oh no, I had to have a C-section. And I, and I want to say, I know it sucks because I know that if I had gone that route, I would hate to hear this from someone else. This is such a sensitive subject. It's such an important day for every woman's life. And it's really hard to admit that you might have been lied to by your provider or that there was something confusing, but those things are not always right. And the medical doctor looks at these things from a medical emergency point of view. They don't know physiological birth. They're not taught that in, in school. So you go into the medical system and you get put through the medical system as the medical system goes through people, right? Yes, yes. So when you when you are able to, I said, take back feeding your child, take back childbirth. If we think about decentralizing and we, we talk about food security, we talk about all these other things, not supporting the medical system, well, think about that in childbirth. You don't have to go to the hospital. You don't have to call the doctor first when you find out you're pregnant. It's not, it's not a medical emergency unless it is. And I know that's, that might sound retarded to some people, but it's, it's like just, there are instances where it is and it's, it's, you know, good to have the resources you have, but just explore the idea of a midwife, explore the idea of a home birth, um, you know, take your own physical fitness and, and your abilities and start to realize how much of a mental game that childbirth is and what comes after it. Um, it's, and one speak, one more, more thing is like postpartum depression is greatly decreased with breastfeeding because that oxytocin that your body produces helps with your mental state of things. Sure. So it, it all ties in together. The more natural you can be, the easier time you're going to have, the more successful you're going to be being natural. So it, um. I don't know, hearing about the formula shortage was making me angry for a whole bunch of reasons. But the biggest one being is that we baby food is mother's milk. Yeah. And that formula has stuff in it that I would consider poison. Yeah. And I am sad to hear that 75% of babies are fed that formula by the time they're six months old. Yeah. And uh, yeah, take back feeding your own kids, take back schooling your own kids, take back your growing and cooking your own food, take back all of that stuff from the system that is not serving us. Yep, that's the bottom line. And I'm sorry if I upset anybody with all of this. I want it to be in a positive way. I want people to feel inspired like they can do these things. Like if I could do it, anyone could do it. And if you need support, like I love talking about childbirth. I love talking about breastfeeding. I love talking about raising little kids. Just send me an email and I'm happy to continue the conversation. And, uh, you know, if, if, if we, if we did offend anyone like apologies and don't, don't run away. 
like we, we this isn't the only thing we talk about if you're if you're already here you probably uh, agree with us on some other points that we've you made know in that. the past. Yeah, this is and, an important conversation. It's just a hard one to have. I talk with and interact with people who feed their babies formula every day, and I respect and even love those people. You know. Yeah. Um, it's not. Uh, fortunately, it's a subject that like never comes up. Right. You know, so it's not something that I, I'm just. I I don't know that I'm interacting with people who feed formula, but you know, seventy five percent are. So I am. Yeah. Right. And, and I'm not, I'm not holding anything against them. I just, uh, the only thing that really bugs me in all of this, the end, aside from the poison, uh, <laughs> is, is when people feel like they don't have a choice and clearly yeah. there are choices. There are a lot of choices and you do you, everybody needs to make their own choices. But what I would love to see is that people would just not just trust experts and trust what they're being told by one doctor or one person and do a little research yourself. Keep your eyes open and ears open and think for yourself and do what's right. And mostly check in with your intuition and, Mm -hmm. and, and do what you know is right. All right. I think we, uh, I think we, I don't want to say we nailed it like I often do because there's still more. But we, <laughs> we, uh, we, we got a lot of, a lot out today. I we think can, we can put a nail in it to hang it up and come back to it sometime if we feel the need. How about a pin? We'll put a pin in it. Is that, it's more of a thing I've heard people say before. I've never heard someone put a nail in it before. No, I think they say it all no, the time. I don't think it's, uh, said that. yeah. People in, um, Nebraska say it. You don't know anything about Nebraska. It's the Yukon maybe. Okay. <laughs> All right, people, thank you so much. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at the world as it is today. You can find us on Podbean. You already know that. You can find, uh, or you can email us at the world as it is today at protonmail.com. If you want to get involved with the workshops, that's greener postures at protonmail.com. And you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at the same handle, greener postures. Chud has a new Instagram uh, at Mr. Chud X indeed. And Twitter, Mr. Ch- at Mr. Chedex. Yep. So stay in touch. Reach out. If you want to do the food preservation fermentation workshop, send me an email. I'll add you to the list, and I'll let you know as soon as I uh, schedule a new date. If you want to attend the fermented beverages workshop on June 5th, uh, also send me an email. Let me know that's what you're interested in, and I'll send you all the info to get signed up. All right. Peace out, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.